I have something I would love to share with you this morning. And when I say that I've heard from God, I, I like to say it like this. I'm about 80% sure that I've heard from God. And the reason I say that is, is because I trust everything God says, but I don't trust myself. In between God and me is me. And, and sometimes I get in the way of what God is saying and what God is wanting to do. So I, I do believe that God has given me a word to share. And if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Kings. Chapter number 17. I also would like to say I appreciate so much the, the beautiful room and, the, and the, the gift basket that was there. Listen, I'm telling you, if, if people don't stop treating me so well, I may have to just stay here. You know, I've, got, I've been married for uh, 22 years, be 23 years in uh, September, and I've got five beautiful children, but I live with four women. I've got three teenage daughters. Somebody say, help him, Jesus. <laughs> and I just come out of a, a, a severe trial. It's called prom. <laughs> I mean, listen, that is a severe, because you know why? When you've got three teenage daughters, you have to buy three dresses, three hairdos, three nails, three makeup jobs, you know, three pairs of shoes. Listen, I'm, I'm in the middle of a trial. I'm getting ready to go back in another one here in a few, in, in a few months. You know, the prom's going to be here before I know it. I'm thinking, well, can you not wear the same dress you wore last year? Evidently, there's a rule that says you can't do that. I said the devil is a liar. I want to preach on that, but I can't. But um, anyways, no, uh, they, they all greet you and uh, you know, they enable me to be able to come and travel and do the things that I do. And without them, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. But this morning, I want to share with you a thought called a place called there. A place called there. First Kings chapter number 17. We're going to start reading it at verse number one. And if you're there, say amen. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, turn over to 1 Kings chapter number 19. I want to read one verse here. 1 Kings 19. Verse 9, And then he went into the cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here? 
Elijah. I want to talk to you about a place called there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you for the spirit of God that is in this place. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds. Help us to be receptive to your word. Lord, there is a place that you're calling each of us to individually and a place you're calling us to corporately. It's a place called there. And Lord, each day we want to be progressively moving toward the place you've called us to go and do what you've called us to do. Now bless your word today and bless your people in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. A place called there. Now within the walls of this building are people who have great potential. And you don't just have any kind of potential, you've got God-given potential. Now, potential in and of itself uh, is actually useless. Our potential has to be developed. You see, your potential is God's gift to you. And what you do with that potential is your gift back to God. Now, this is a great church, and you have great leadership. You have a rich heritage in the faith. And God has done great things in the past. But I want you to know something. That's in the past. God has greater things in store for you individually. Greater things in store for this church corporately. But none of that will be accessible to you without growth and change. It's important that, that we hear this. And so without personal growth and change. You, you cannot become the person that God's called you to be by remaining who you are today. This church cannot become the church that God has called it to by maintaining what has got you here today because what's got you here today cannot take you into your tomorrow and not just take you into your tomorrow. What got you here today will never be able to bring you to the place Called there. Now God is, the scripture says, can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we think or ask, according to the power that is at work. We're at in us, not out there. A lot of us are looking for God way out there. We're looking for the will of God as if it's lost somewhere. We're searching for God's will for our lives as if it's in outer space. And the truth is we're looking in the wrong place. You know, the Bible says the kingdom of God is within us. Everything that you're ever going to do for God has already been deposited on the inside of you. It's just in seed form. And you need to have people to help develop that and bring that out of you. That's called potential. Greater works than these, Jesus said we would do, for I go to the Father. God is a rewarder of those that diligently Seek Him. And so God has greater things. He said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're good and not evil to give you a hope and a future. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. That you may bear much fruit and that your fruit remain. Greater things are still ahead of us, but we must start by looking within us and then develop what we've got in us so it can help us get to the place called there. Now, if you read 1 Kings 17 and, and 
18, you'll discover that this is exactly what God is saying to Elijah. He's saying to Elijah, I have got great things in store for your life. I've got great things that I still want you to do. But you will not experience these great things, Elijah, if you remain where you are. And so God begins to speak to Elijah about the place called there. And so we read in our text in verses 3 and 4, God speaks to Elijah and he says to Elijah that you are to arise and go to the brook Cherith, for I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so then he says in verses 8 and 9, he said, arise, go to Zarephath. He said, for I have commanded a widow to provide for you there. Now, you read this and you think, you know what? He, we find Elijah at, at the brook Cherith. Now we find Elijah in Zarephath. But when you go one more chapter over in 1 Kings chapter 19, we find out that Elijah is in a place that God never intended for him to be. Now, up to this point, Elijah has just come out of an incredible time of ministry. Now, I don't know if you've had any kind of experiences like this, but the man called fire down from heaven. We love the fire, right? So he calls fire down from heaven. He destroys the prophets of Baal. He actually leads a nation in national revival and brings the entire nation of Israel Back to Jehovah. That's a pretty good season of ministry, if you ask me. So it is an incredible time. But when we read about where Elijah is in chapter 19, we find out that he is not at the brook Cherith. He's not in Zarephath. He is hiding in a cave. And the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing here, he was in a place that God never intended for him to be. He said, Elijah, what are you doing here when I've called you to go there? So this is what God is speaking to, to Elijah. And so it, it begs to answer the question or ask the question, what in the world is the place called there? What is that place? Well, the place called there is the place that God intended for you and I to be. A place called there is the place where your purpose is being fulfilled, where your assignment is being accomplished, where you are walking in the manifest destiny that God has for your life. The place called there is the place that God will ultimately bring us to if we commit ourselves to doing the will of God. Now listen, the Christian life is like this. There's a moment when you surrender everything to God, and then there's a moment-by-moment -moment surrendering of our life every single day. Now we see in chapter 17 that Elijah is being obedient to God. He goes to the brook Cherith. He goes to Zarephath. But in chapter 19, evidently he either blocked out what God was saying to him or he didn't hear what God was saying to him. But we do know this. He's hiding in a cave and the word of the Lord comes to him and says, what are you doing here? Rick would always tell me, he said, Donald, there's, there's two important days in a person's life. He said, number one is the day that they were born. And number two is the day that they discover why. And I want to use the four seasons of the year to illustrate how they parallel with the four seasons that we will go, to, go through 
as Christians. So let's, let's look at this. Number one, they can go ahead and go to that first slide. Thank you. The first season is spring. Now, what happens during the springtime? Springtime is a, is a time of new life and new growth. It's a time where uh, we are all learning and growing and developing. The, the scripture says in 1 Peter 2, 2, it says that we are to earnestly desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. It's a season where we grow. And here's the truth. We don't go into a new season. We grow into a new season. A lot of us are ready to get out of the season that we're in, but the problem is we've not learned the lessons that we need to learn in this season. Because how you exit a season determines how you enter into the next season. And sometimes we've not exited the right way, so God just allows us to wander around in the wilderness uh, until we learn the lesson. Because here's what I've learned in my almost 25 years of ministry. Listen, growing old is inevitable, but growing up is optional. Making mistakes is inevitable, but learning from those mistakes is optional. So during this time, it's going to be a time of trial and error. It's going to be a time of searching and reaching. And, but, but we're really going after God during the, the springtime because everything is new. Everything is fresh. Everything is exciting. But we can't stay in the springtime too long because if we do, we will not experience what God has for us in the other seasons of the year that God has in store. So in the springtime, you're not just growing and learning and developing. The springtime is also a time of discovery. Now, it's every person's individual responsibility to discover the God-given gifts, talents, and abilities that He's placed in your life. It's your responsibility. It's the pastor's responsibility to equip you to do the work of the ministry, but it's your responsibility to ask and do the work of the ministry within itself. So if I were to ask you, do you know what your gifts, talents, and abilities are? If you don't know, you're going to be stuck in this season until you do. And listen, we have church houses full of people that don't serve, they come on Sunday morning, they do their spiritual nine to five, they check in and check out, and they live their life as if they did God a favor just by showing up on Sunday morning. Probably nobody in this church, they all go to mine, right? So the question is, do you know what your gifts, talents, and abilities are? And a lot of people, you know, they, they contradict the Bible. Now, let's look at this next slide. You know, the Bible teaches us that every single one of us have a spiritual gift. But statistics say that only one out of every four actually believes that. So one of us is deceived, either God or, or us. But if the Bible says that we all have a spiritual gift, then don't you think we should have a desire to not only find out what that spiritual gift is, but develop it and put it into practice? See, we will never get to the place called there until every person that calls this church their home is actively and dynamically involved in the work of the ministry, doing what God has called them to do, and using their gifts, talents, and abilities to the best of their ability Helping the church move forward. The Bible says every part supplies. 
So look at your neighbor and say, are you holding up your end? See, success in life, you know, God created us with two heads, one to think with and another one to sit on. And success in life is determined by which one you use the most. I didn't say a bad word, did I? Listen, some people, you know what? You know, they, they, they sit on the seat of do nothing and their favorite song is, I shall not be moved. Well, if you're not on the move, then you're going to miss out on God because God is always on the mood. But if you park by your yesterday, you'll miss out on what God's doing today. So in the springtime, this is, this is what we should be doing. We're growing, developing, learning, and we're also changing. Now, we know Scripture says that God is unchanging, right? Now, how many of you pray to become like Jesus? You better be careful. If you don't mean it, don't pray it. Because if we pray to become like Jesus, then we need to consider who Jesus is and what Jesus is like and what Jesus had to go through. I'll never forget, I was, I was going through, for me, the most difficult season of my life in ministry. I experienced major church hurt. I experienced, you know, I was wounded by, by brothers and sisters that... You know, you have, you know, you, you married them, you, you dedicated their children, you, you, you did the funerals of their, of their family members, you've been there for them for years and years and years, and all of a sudden, one day, they just forget all that stuff. But, you know, that's an accurate portrayal of leadership. You know, the children of Israel, they prayed 400 years for God to send them a deliverer. And God sent them Moses. Three days on the other side of the Red Sea, they were ready to kill him. Because ministry is all about what have you done for me lately. Why? Because we've not grown up. We're still spiritually immature. But God is unchanging. And if we pray to become like God, we need to consider who He is and what He does and, and what He had to go through. And I'll never forget, I was asking God, I was like, God, you know, why, why is this happening? And I'll never forget, the Lord spoke to me and He said, Donald... Do you pray to become like me? And I was like, literally my response was, yeah, I'm stupid like that, Lord. Because I knew what was coming. You know, we just want a big hug from our dad and a pat and say, it's going to be all right. That wasn't coming. Why? Because God was using this moment to help grow and mature and develop me. He said, you pray to become like me? I said, yeah, I'm stupid like that, Lord. He said, then you don't get to pick and choose which characteristics of me you get to be like. He said, Donald, I'm a man of sorrows. What do you think that means? You sure you want to be like Jesus? I read somewhere in there that there's a cross. But yes, we want to be like Jesus. But we don't get to pick and choose what characteristics we get to be like. See, I found out in America, people want Jesus. They want church. They want ministry. They want to go to heaven. They just want it on their terms. You can't call Jesus your Lord and Savior and still live your life as if you're in control. I paused for an amen, but it didn't come. It's all right. I'm going to be quitting here shortly. But... In the springtime, we're committed to growing. Remember when everything was just so wonderful? 
When I first got saved, listen, the sky was bluer, the grass was greener. Everybody in the church was wonderful. They, they had perfect lives and, you know, nobody ever offended anybody. They're just hugging and just loving on people. And then I was there for about a week and realized this is not what I thought it was. And probably one of the most disappointing things that I've experienced as a pastor is people that have been in the church for decades, longer than I've even been saved, that are not mature enough to handle the immaturity of others. Now, here's what the scripture says. I didn't say this. Don't shoot the messenger. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said that we are to love our enemies, right? Pray for those that despitefully use us. And those that, you know, you, you know the list. I won't go through that. But anyways, and then he says, then you shall be called the sons of the Most High God. Now that word son in the Greek is technon, which means mature son. Not just any son, but a mature son. In other words, how you handle unfair treatment is the reflection of your spiritual maturity as a son or daughter of God. So what does God use to grow us up? Difficult people. Listen, if you could kick the person responsible for the majority of the problems in your life, you couldn't even sit down in the seat you're in right now, right? Listen, difficult people, dealing with difficult people is hard, especially when the difficult person is you. See, that was a shocker for me when I got married. I didn't even know I was selfish until I got married. Then I had somebody tell me every single day. See, being married is a lot like being crucified. Oh, your people know this already. But you guys are so smart. You got, I mean, I mean, what did you sign up for when you got married? Listen, here's the truth. God has designed marriage that he intends to kill the both of you. <laughs> and the reason that's true is because you will never have a good relationship until you learn how to die to yourself. And I found out, you know, I've been around people for a while now. Even church people. That there's two types of people in marriage. Those that wonder if their marriage is going to make it, and then there's liars. <laughs> but if you can embrace that season of your relationship, it will make you a better person. But we would rather be right than in relationship. i got to move on. I'm meddling anyway. But that's what happens in the springtime. In the, spring, in the springtime... It's a season of new life, new growth. We're learning. Everything's fresh. Everything's new. We're looking through new eyes. God's given us a new heart. But we have to go through some things in order to spiritually mature and develop into the person God's called us to be. Now, the second season is the season of summer. In springtime, it's the time of new life and new growth. In the summer, it is the time of development and maturity. In the springtime, we desire milk. In the summertime, we desire meat. Now, I did not write these highly offensive words that are found in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. I believe Paul wrote them, but, I mean, look at how offensive he is here. Paul clearly provides the expectation of what he expects to see in the life of a true believer, and it's determined by their diet. 
Now look here what he says. He says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. Yet you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, what do you think he's implying there? He's coming to this particular group of people expecting to see spiritually mature people. Now, we know the Scripture is divinely inspired. There's no errors in that, right? You know, every word is God-breathed. So if, if Paul is writing that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can say that this is what God expects from all of us, right? He expects us to grow up. But you know what? Growing up is optional. Growing old is inevitable. But Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, is saying, you know what? By this time... You should be a lot farther down the road than what you are. You should be a whole lot more spiritually mature. And here's the truth. If we stop developing ourselves spiritually and have experienced a growth in our relationship with God and other people, then we're going to get stuck in a season and we're not going to come out. Some of you, you're stuck in a season because you've not learned the lessons that you need to learn at this moment in your life. And I don't say that means spirited. And I don't say that in, in, in a harsh way. I'm just saying, when we become a victim of circumstances and allow those circumstances to define who we are, we will embrace a different kind of identity. We will embrace the identity of our struggle. And listen, I, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic for 10 years. And I, I relapsed four times. And just when I thought I was making progress, I would take, you know, two steps forward and three steps back. And, you know, I, I reached a point to where I was, I didn't know if I was able to, to overcome my addiction. And so I embraced it, that, you know, this is the way that it's always going to be. Nothing's going to change. Things are not going to get better. I'm always going to be inconsistent. I'm going to be up and down. Some of you, that, that represents your life. You may not be a drug addict, but whatever it is, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's spiritual, your relationship with God and commitment to God, to one another and growing is up and down and up and down and up and down. And so then you embrace that and you just settle for something less than God has for your life. Now listen, I want you to know that it's not God's will for you to go to heaven. Hang on, don't, don't, don't pick up no rocks yet. God's will for your life is not for you to go to heaven. God's will for your life is to become like the one who will take you there. God's best for your life is not to go to Some people get saved by grace and paralyzed by it at the same time. But God says, add these things to your faith. So we should be continually adding to our faith. And so this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that we should grow and, and we should develop and, and we should uh, mature. Now, I always say it like this. You know, I, I don't mind fixing bottles and feeding babies. I just don't want to have to part the mustache to stick the nipple in, you know. That's gross. That is gross. But listen, I've been around the world and I've found out, you know what? People are people. 
no matter where you go. There may be some of you that fall into that category. I promise you, the good news is, you know what? You don't have to stay that way. Look at your neighbor and say, we've got to grow up. So in the springtime, we desire milk. In the summertime, we, we desire meat. In the springtime, we discover God's purpose. In the summertime, we dedicate ourselves to God's purpose. In the springtime, we discover spiritual gifts. In the summertime, we deploy our spiritual gifts. And the reason that is true, and I want you to hear this, the reason that's true is because if you are saved, if you've been saved, God has placed a calling on your life. The call to salvation includes a call to fulfill His purpose. Now here's what the scripture says in 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, God has saved us and what? Called us. Saved, called. Saved, called. It's and. And is a conjunction word, which means that you can't have one without the other. So whether you know what God's purpose for your life is or not, is irrelevant. You will stand before God one day and you will give account of yourself whether we did what God called us to do or whether we don't. Now listen, we're good at making excuses, right? I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I don't hang out with the right people. I'm too young. I'm too... Oh, we got a million excuses. But the problem with excuses are God doesn't forgive excuses. God forgives sin that we repent of. Now, you know this. I hate to bear the news to you here, but I'm not pretty sure you've read this before and had this preached to you. You're called. you got a calling. And not only do you have a calling, your life has an assignment. And that assignment has a time frame attached to it. And that time frame is the duration of your life. Whatever you're going to do for God, you have to do for God right now with the time He's given you. Because when you stand before God, you're going to be asked two questions. The first question is, what did you do with my son Jesus? The second question is, what did you do with the time I gave you while you were here on earth? That's why He didn't immediately zap us up to go be with Him in heaven because He's got purpose for us for being here. And so the answer to that first question determines where we'll spend eternity. The answer to the second question will determine what we'll be doing in eternity. Moses said, said like this, he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And the reason that we are to number our days is because our days are numbered. Did you know that 10 out of 10 people die? That the mortality rate's hovering right around 100%. That, you know, but, but dying is not really the, the, the big thing. The Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die. It's what happens after that. It's a little, you know. But when I read scriptures like this, I'm thinking, I wish that wasn't even in there. You ever read scriptures in there and thinking, you know what? Ooh, I could have done without that today. You know, the scripture says that Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. That's horrible, right? But this is all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, right? Yeah. It's the stuff that, you know, some people think, you know what, it's the stuff that I don't know that really gives me a difficult time. The truth is, it's the stuff that I do know that really gives me a difficult time. But it's still in the book, that's still the gospel. You know, the gospel is first you live, or first you die and then you live, right? Death is the gateway to, to life. 
And to the degree that we're able to die to ourselves is equal to the degree that God can gain control over our life. And that's the true gospel. But our life has a time frame. And that time frame is the duration of time that God's given us here on earth. And that's the only time we've got to fulfill God's purpose. Now, let me make this statement. Dying is not the same as finishing. Dying is not the same as finishing. Jesus did not die on the cross. He did not hang from the cross and cry out, I am dying. He said, it is finished. David did not die. The Bible says in the book of Acts that after he fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation, he fell asleep. The apostle Paul did not die. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I have dying is not the same as finishing. And so it should be our motivation to finish what God has called us to do. Now let's look at this, this next slide. This next slide, I want to give you this. This is a 70-year lifespan uh, in a, with a 24-hour day. In other words, you can look at whatever age you are and on your, you know, your, your mortality clock, it can kind of give you an indicator of where you are. Now, if you're in your 20s, it's 6.52 a.m. In your 30s, it's 10.18 a.m. In your 40s, it's 1.44 p.m. In your 50s, it's 5.10 p.m. In your 60s, it's 8.36 p.m. And if you are 70, it is midnight. So, time's ticking. And heaven is watching. What are you doing with the time God has given you? Because if we're going to get to the place called there, then we're going to have to discover what our gifts are, what our talents and our abilities are. We're going to have to grow and take spiritual growth seriously. And we're going to have to make sure that we use our time wisely. Now, here's the third thing. Third thing is the fall season. Now, in the fall season of our lives, we've reached a place where we've got some life experience. And, you know, I'm still having lots of life experience that I didn't even know. Like, for example, you know, when my wife closes her eyes and begins to snore, and I kind of like nudge her and wake her up, I said, listen, you're snoring. She said, I'm just resting my eyes. I'm going, I've got 46 years of life experience that lets me know that, hey, that sounds just like you were asleep and was snoring. I didn't know. For example, she said, look, I will be right back. I thought that meant that she's going to be right back. Now, what does be right back mean? Nobody knows. Listen, if a man says he's going to be right back, you know what? He's going to be right back. If a woman says she's going to be right back, what does she mean? You could mean I got my hair done. You said nothing about it. I sure wish that you could help do some stuff around here, you know, and pick up after yourself a little bit. Throw your underwear in the laundry basket. Men, listen, men don't know. Men, men, they don't know. Women know. And then they expect us to know 
Because they think we can read minds, but we, we can't. We, we, men have the unique ability of being able to think about nothing. <laughs> really is. I mean, and I think that drives women crazy. No, it's really true. <laughs> Anyways, it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But anyway, <laughs> in the fall season, we, we've grown to a place where we realize that people are extremely valuable to us. And one of the greatest indicators that a person or a church is growing in the faith is that people become increasingly more important to them. You know, I've got five children, and you know, our, our youngest thanks everybody in the house that their life revolves around him. Can you believe that? I mean, he thinks that we exist to be his personal assistants. And I heard that they don't get that way by themselves, but you know what? It's pretty natural for him. I think his mommy taught him that while I've been gone. But anyways, but it's okay because he's a baby, right? He's, he's, he's young. But if he's 25 years old and still thinks that everybody's life revolves around him, how many know we got a problem? Like he's a Kansas City Chief fan. I had a parent come up to me at church the other day and said, listen, I saw your son with a Patrick Mahomes jersey on. You have failed him as a parent. <laughs> I said, that's the public school systems we've done that to them because I'm listening. We're Bengals fans in our house. I don't care what he's got on. <laughs> For the record, we got ripped off. But anyways, <laughs> see, I've got some maturing to do myself. But anyways, relationships become increasingly more valuable. Now, there's three very important relationships that each of us should have. And if you don't have these people in your life, I promise you, you're never going to make it to the place called there. And those, these three relationships are in everybody's life. You should have Apostle Paul. You should have a Paul in your life. In other words, you should have somebody that is over you that's pouring their life into you. In other words, you should be being discipled by somebody. You should have a Timothy in your life. In other words, you should have somebody underneath you that you yourself is pouring your life into. And then you should have a Barnabas. And that means you should have somebody or somebodies in your life that come alongside of you and walk out the Christian life together with. So the question is this. Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? And who is your Barnabas? And the other question is, who are you a Paul to, who are you a Timothy to, and who are you a Barnabas to? Because if you're serious about finishing the race that God has called you to run, if you're serious about fulfilling the purpose and the call of God that's on your life, then you need to be a Paul, you need to have a Paul, you need to be a Timothy, you need to have a Timothy, you need to be a Barnabas, and you need to have a Barnabas because you cannot get there on your own. I always say it like this. Have you ever seen a turtle on a fence post? Well, I promise you, if you do, it didn't get there by itself. And neither will you. There's no such thing as a self-made man. Every one of us are where we're at today because we had help 
along the way. But here's the problem. Something happens to people, and I'm, I'm wrapping it up. When, when we get a little bit of Bible knowledge, and we kind of learn church culture, and, and we know how to say the right things and look the right way, and, you know, pretend to be all spiritual, like, you know, like we come in like, you know, we, 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 you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is not just in Kentucky. You know, we, we know how to do this. Our lives falling apart, but we just we pretend like everything's, you know, perfect and lovely. You know, the truth is the only thing that we have in common are issues. And the problem is you can't get anybody to talk about them. But anyways, the problem is we, we, we grow a little bit. We got a little scripture memorized. And all of a sudden, we, we become unteachable. Listen, if you are unteachable, think about how scary this is. You're already as smart as you're ever going to be. And how many of you do dumb stuff during the week? Don't lift your hands. Don't lift your hands. How many of you ask yourself on a regular basis, I don't know why I do that. And now listen, I have the most intelligent children in the world. You know how I know that? Because their response to me whenever I try to tell them something is, I know. I try to tell them, so I know, I know, I know. Well, I told them, I said, you know what? I stand in amazement all the time of how much I've learned since I've known everything. <laughs> See, it's what you learn after you know everything that really matters. Here's the truth. If you're not teachable, then you forfeit the place called there that God's calling you to. Samson is a perfect example of somebody that I believe died having not reached his full potential. Why? Because he became big in his own eyes. He trusted more in his own strength and his own ability to do the things that he needed done. And, and for me, probably the most scary scripture in all of the Bible is that the Spirit of the Lord withdrew from Samson, and he did not know it. You would think that if somebody as big as God is withdrew himself from our life, that there would be something that we would, you know, there, there would be a light that comes on, or, you know, there would be something to, to wake us up, but not for Samson. And yeah, I know, at the end of his life, when he, you know, when he, he knocked the pillars down and, and he killed more people at the end of his life than he did throughout his life, that's still tragic because it didn't have to be that way. But if we become unteachable, then we forfeit our potential and we'll never be able to make it to the place called that. Here's the last thing if you want to come to music. The last season is the winter season. In the winter season... This is where we take everything that we have sold in the previous seasons and everything that we have gathered from the previous seasons and then we begin to give it away. And this is important because, listen, we have been entrusted with so much and where much is given, much is required that we have a responsibility to make sure that we take what has been invested in us and that we invest that into the next generation. And the problem is, you know, 
we get a little bit older and we become so set in our ways that we don't like to change. And these young people come in here and mess all this stuff up. You know what I'm saying? Different music and don't even wear the right clothes to church. Skinny jeans. That's almost blasphemy. <laughs> but the problem is, you know what? We want everybody to be just like us. Imagine if everybody was just like you. That'd be super weird, wouldn't it? We really don't want people to be like us. We just want people to be like us in the comfortable areas we're with, right? And so for a church to reach to the place called there, then we're going to have to embrace that fall season where the leaves begin to change colors and the harvest begins to come in. Because if we don't invest in that next generation, then what we have sown in the field will die in the field. And the Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, the things that you've heard from me. He's talking to Timothy here. Commit to faithful men who are able to teach others also. Too many people in our churches today live for themselves. They don't even, they don't even think about the next generation. But Paul said this. He said, if you don't have a vision that's at least four generations long, you don't have God's vision for your life. You see, the Apostle Paul represents a generation. Timothy represents a generation. Faithful men represent a generation. And others represent a generation. And I can promise you, we have to be focused on the next generation because the church itself is only one generation away from extinction. We're becoming increasingly more irrelevant Why? Because we keep our faith to ourselves. And a faith that doesn't touch somebody else probably hasn't touched you either. It's going to cost you something. And a faith that doesn't cost you something isn't worth anything. So in the winter season, you're going to need to have these people in your life. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4.13. He's writing to a spiritual son. He's writing in the succeeding generation. He knows winter's approaching. And he knows that he's not going to be able to survive the winter. Because he's in prison. And he's at a place in his life where he's vulnerable. And he needs somebody else's help. And he realizes that he's not going to be able to make it through winter if he doesn't have his coat. But he's not in a place where he can get his coat. But he's got a son that he's poured his life into. And he knows where his coat's at. He just needs somebody to bring it to him. And so he writes and he, he says to Timothy, he says, bring my cloak. Now what does, what does the coat represent? It represents covering. That's why it's important for you to be a part of a local church. You need covering. You need people over you that genuinely have your best interest in mind. That doesn't always tell you what you want to hear, but tells you what you need to hear. 
and it tastes like medicine at times, but it will make you better. This is the way God designed it. Spiritual authority was not man's idea, it was God's idea. And just because there's been abuses in the past, doesn't mean that God is a child abuser. But so many people, I see it happen all the time. They attend a local church, but they don't ever plant roots in a local church. They attend church on Sunday, but they're not involved serving in a ministry. They come and they receive ministry, but they never give ministry out. And that's not the way God intends for our lives to be. And so Paul operated differently. He realized that, you know what? I need spiritual sons in my life. If I'm going to fulfill what God's called me to do, I've got to pass this on to the next generation. I'm standing on a platform today, not because I'm great, not because I've done anything to deserve this. I'm standing on a platform today because somebody else built the platform that I'm standing on. Somebody else had a relationship with your pastor before I did. And then as a result of that relationship, I was invited into that relationship. And because I now have this relationship, I'm able to stand and go places that I could never stand and go on my own. Now that is a blessing. What a privilege. But that code, it represents a covering. Paul knows he can't do what he used to do, but he also knows where the code's at. He said, bring my coat that I left with Carpus at Troas. He knew where his coat was. Do you? See, Paul reached a place in his life where he needed a son to cover him. Imagine the roles switching. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be naturally? First, our parents take care of us. And then in their golden years, that role switches and we look to try to take care of them. Isn't that the natural process? See, the Bible says first the natural, then the spiritual. And I believe this is God's way of, of working to help us get to where He's called us to go and make it to the place called there. Go ahead and stand with me. I'm finished. So my question to you is, what season of life are you in? Are you in the spring season? Are you in the summer season? Are you in the fall? Are you in the winter? But if you want to transition into that next season, then you're going to have to take a next step in an area of growth. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, you need to find that out. If you know what your talents and abilities are, then you know what? That needs to be priority number one. If you don't have a systematic reading plan, where you're reading the Bible every single day, you need to find out how to get one. Because we're all responsible for our own growth. Right? Or maybe you're at a place where you're stuck in a season and you're wondering how much longer it's going to be before you come out of this season. And I'm telling you, it's just on the next step of your obedience. If you want to be in the will of God 10 years from now, 
You need to do the very next thing that the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Elijah, go to the brook. He goes to the brook. Elijah, go to Zarephath. He goes to Zarephath. And then he just takes things into his own hands. And he runs and he goes into a cave. And God says, this is not where I called you to be. Some of you are in a place that God never intended for you to be. Maybe you're here and you're lost and God's saying to you, I'm calling you out of this season and I'm calling you to myself. Now we just don't get saved anytime we want to. We only come to God as the Spirit draws us. And God is saying, this season of your life needs to come to closure. And He's saying, today is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. He's calling you out of that season of sin to bring you in to this place called there in salvation. So what's your next step? God, I pray right now that you'd burden our hearts and reveal to us where we are and where you've called us to be. Individually, corporately, because we want to walk and step into that new season and we have to come out of the season that we're in in order to step into that new season. And God, I pray that you give us the next instruction. Give us the next step. And if you'll show us the next step, we will obediently take that next step and we will meet you at that place called there. You know, there's a true story of a man named Charles Blondin. And Charles Blondin was a, was a high wire walker. You know what I'm talking about. You've been to the circus and there's a wire that stretches out and They've got this balancing beam and they're, they're walking uh, on it, balancing themselves. There's nothing underneath them to, to, to hold them up. Well, this man did things that nobody else had done. And one time, he said, you know what? I'm going to walk a tight wire across Niagara Falls. So they stretched out a, a, a tight wire and, you know, they promoted it. And thousands and thousands of people came. And so he's there and he's getting ready to... Uh, walk across the wire and you know how they do right they got this balancing beam and they're kind of doing this and they do good for a while and then they get out in the minute and they're going and everybody's going oh my god oh my god and he's like got it and then he finishes you know he gets in right then he said you know what I'm going to up it he said I'm going to walk back across Niagara Falls by pushing and walking with a blind on, blindfold on. So he's got this blindfold on and you know what? He's making his way. Just when he gets out in the middle, guess what happens? And the people say, oh my God, oh my God. And, but then he makes it over. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to up it one more time. He said, I'm going to push a wheelbarrow across this tight wire, across and over Niagara Falls. Who believes I can do it? One man spoke up and said, I believe you can do it. I believe you can do anything. And then he looks at the man and says, Get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> do you believe God can do anything in your life? Do you believe God can do anything in this church? Do you believe God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you think or ask? Then get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow.
and you'll see what God can do. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you seal this word in the hearts of your people. And I pray that 2023 would be the most fruitful season that this church has experienced in their individual lives, in their families, in the ministry, in their relationships, in their finances, in every area of life. I pray that God, that we will look back at this year and it will be just like we have said, that we, we be in a season of true, genuine harvest. Now, Lord, I pray that you bless your word today. And those that you are calling to get into the wheelbarrow, give them the courage just to get out of their seat and meet you here at this altar.